Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With instant analysis of WWE WrestleMania Backlash. That's right, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini are here just moments after WWE's first pay-per-view of its new season went off the air Sunday night. We are here to break down every single thing that happened at WrestleMania Backlash, instant analysis style, as we always do on this damn podcast. And on this damn podcast, when we talk instant analysis, we waste no time off the top. So let me immediately welcome in none other than vintage Chris Vanini, who has had himself quite a day, folks, covering the FCS College Football National Championship, dealing with major storms in the Dallas, Texas area, and still figuring out a way to watch WrestleMania Backlash and be here for this podcast. This guy deserves a lot of credit. Chris, how the hell was your day? It's a busy day. I'm enjoying my uh, beverage choice tonight for this show. It's been a long day. There was the championship game, which was a heck of a lot of fun if you didn't watch it. Came down, winning touchdown, scored with 16 seconds left. Yeah. But there was a 75-minute rain delay in the middle of the game. The first, There's going to be like 10 straight days of storms here in Dallas, and I am not looking forward to that. It's thunderstorming right now. But I, uh, I I listen. I watched some of the show on my phone actually while I was driving. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. Yeah. But I I, I did I that wanted, for WrestleMania. It wasn't. Yeah, good. but yeah. but 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 I wanted to do it so we could get here in time to record uh, the instant analysis. I think you deserve to have the first beer crack of the show, right? Well, it's already cracked. Actually, oh, well, it's, okay. it, the bottle it was a bottle has already been you twisted got off. I've got I've got myself a uh, uh, actually it's not a beer. It's an Angry Orchard cider. Uh, tonight is what I'm Ooh. going with. I, I can I accept that? Am I? Uh, I don't know. All right, you're not uh, a well, cider you, guy. No, no, I'm okay with it. But this is a you know the tradition. Um, we've done however many uh, pay per views here, and I think all except for one, we've cracked a beautifully uh, designed craft beer. But you know what? Hard cider is good. An apple hard cider in particular uh, can be good. So first time listeners, we don't do the whole like hey we drink beer during our shows type of deal, but we do it for instant analysis. Because generally, especially when we started these shows, this shit was ending at like 1130, 12 o'clock. We were exhausted and we had the beer to kind of pep us up. But the Silver King is cracking a honey vanilla wheat, a seasonal beer from Dew South Brewing here in Boynton Beach, Florida. It's only seasonal because in order to get the creamed honey that they use for it, they can only get it certain times of year. It is one of the best beers they make. It is being distributed, uh, not nationwide, but up the East Coast. So keep an eye out, yellow can. Uh, do South Brewing. It is freaking delicious. Uh, but we're not here to talk craft beer. We're here to talk pro wrestling. And we're going to get into that momentarily. Before we do, a little business to take care of. Do not forget on this show, it's all about the five. it is all about the five. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this damn show. It also means heading on over to Twitter and giving us a follow at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet pre and post-show polls for pay-per-views, even though I forgot the pre-show poll this week, uh, not only do we do that, we tweet every episode as it goes live, and we talk about wrestling all week long, including live during the four major American television programs. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And one new thing you can do, if you want to tip the Silver King Adam Silverstein, 
and Vintage Chris Vanini, you want to show some love monetarily to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, check out my personal Twitter profile at Silverstein Adam. There is a Twitter tip button. All you have to do is click it and you can send us some cash via Venmo and PayPal. Don't have to do it. If you feel so inclined, the Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini would greatly appreciate it. So Chris, with that all out of the way, it is officially time to get into our WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis. And the way we start talking about this show is by going over our pre-show grades. Now, as I said, the Silver King screwed up in a significant way. (laughs) I forgot to do the pre-show poll. And one of the reasons I forgot is because Chris is usually the one who reminds me I'm so busy during the show. So for the first time I'm getting over, and it's going to be twice it happens tonight, but for the first time, I'm doing this to myself. A zero for the Silver King. Nevertheless, Chris and I did discuss our pre-show grades in our WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. I said it would be a B minus. Chris, I believe you said a B. Is that correct? Yep. I said B with a chance at a B plus. Right. Well, it's pre-show. So you're kind of just going in what your expectation is for the show. Yes. I said B minus largely because despite the matches being really strong, the build wasn't great. But an overview, Chris, and we'll get into the final grade and the final analysis later. An overview is for me, with the exception of one match, a little teaser for what we'll talk about later, WWE, once again, despite Raw being pretty terrible and SmackDown largely being good, but maybe not building great for the pay-per-view, WWE once again over-delivered on a pay-per-view. Yeah, I think it's, we'll get into it overall at the end, but I think when you've got a B-level pay-per-view, there are certain things you want to hit and certain things you want to do, and I think they did that. I do too. Uh, Now, we're going to start, when we do our instant analysis, we start with the main event, the biggest matches on the show, and work our way down, which is usually the opposite of how we do our ultimate previews. And we're going to talk at length about this Roman Reigns and Cesaro match. Um, Before we do that, we normally talk about what happened on SmackDown because it is the go-home show, and it's stuff that we don't get an opportunity to cover between our ultimate preview and between actually talking about it instant analysis style. But before we talk about all that, Chris... Generally, this match, Rain Cesaro, I thought this was terrific. And I do believe a large reason why it was terrific is the build that we've gotten to it over the last three weeks on SmackDown. Yeah, this was the, the best, arguably only good build of all the matches coming into the show. And more than anything, like like Roman Reigns Cesaro, we were looking forward to the wrestling aspect of it. But they told a good story leading in. They told a good story in the match. Yes. And I think as a result, you, you you come out of it feeling like everybody's better off for having gone through this. And, and that's I, exactly what you want in a situation like this. I completely agree with that. Now, we're going to get into this match. Every detail, plenty to talk about. Before we do, a quick recap of what happened on SmackDown. Uh, it was, again, this storyline takes up so much of the show. It's really tough to dissect it in little bits. But Reigns said he respected Cesaro as a top-tier performer. But Reigns' talent goes beyond that. And, he, and WWE and Fox want someone like Reigns as champion. Jimmy Uso came out to the ring wearing a shirt that read Nobody's Bitch. He was wearing the same shirt tonight <laughs> in the same font as Jay's right-hand man shirt. I really can't believe WWE is displaying and selling a shirt that says bitch on it, even though that's like a word that they've determined is PG, okay? It's just still pretty funny that he has that. And he actually said that he doesn't believe Reigns can beat Cesaro. Jimmy said to Jay that they can win the tag team titles and be the tribal chiefs together, 
instead of supporting Reigns as world champion. That set Reigns into a total rage about all of his accomplishments, telling Jimmy he should challenge Cesaro, who came out and accepted he was wearing a fine tailored suit. So we got Jimmy Uso against Cesaro. Cesaro hit a deadlift vertical suplex and did a cannonball off the ring apron. And then Reigns attacked Cesaro for a disqualification with six minutes left on SmackDown. Jimmy was pissed that Reigns interfered. He walked away. Reigns said, no one cares about an exhibition match, which I think is what WWE generally feels about every match that's like not on a pay-per-view. But Reigns said that. Uh, Cesaro attacked Jay. So Reigns came to his aid. Reigns and Jay yelled at Jimmy for not helping. Cesaro then hit two neutralizers on Jay while staring down Reigns with Jimmy knocked out outside. I just thought this was great storyline building for the pay-per-view. The opening segment kept establishing Reigns' character and the overall dynamic between him and his cousins. And the way the main event match transpired further showed Jimmy at odds with the bloodline, giving reason to believe entering the pay-per-view that Cesaro could take advantage of that at Backlash. It all worked extremely well, both for the family storyline and for the Backlash build, at least in my opinion. Can we can we point out that SmackDown is nailing two storylines within the same story. Right, I know. While they can't even get barely one story right on <laughs> Raw. Not one. I, yeah. I just, it's it's incredible. Like, to, to balance the Jimmy stuff with the Cesaro stuff, and it all just works. And Seth and Rollins like, integrated throughout And Seth somehow. Rollins in there, yeah. there sometimes too, just like, it's a, there's so many moving pieces here. Whoever is directing this story I don't know if it's agents or whatever it is, but man, they're they're just it's incredible how they are nailing this. And you go and it takes you into the pay-per-view being like, man, like, I don't know what the heck's going to happen. There could be a million things going on here. I'm that felt like like old time, like attitude era wrestling where there's a lot of stuff going on, but you're excited to see how it all collides. So that was great. And one other thing you mentioned uh, Roman saying nobody cares if you can beat Cesaro. It's an exhibition match. I get why Roman said that, but I wouldn't be happy if I was like, you know, Fox. Of course. <laughs> saying that. Right. It's like our show that, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Saying the main event of SmackDown didn't matter, but little thing there. And one last thing. Can we just also appreciate that there was a Cesaro versus J, a Jimmy Uso main event. Right. And we were excited for it and fired up for it. That's just really, again, a credit to their job. SmackDown does it building up characters can you imagine any time previously longer than four months ago you'd say cesaro and jimmy uso are going to go one-on-one in the main event you'd be like what but instead this was this was had a lot of heat and excitement around it by the way breaking the fourth wall a little bit chris is not overly fond of us going over smackdown especially at length before we get into (laughs) pay-per-view matches when we do these instant analysis meanwhile the guy had three times as much to say about this than i as i I did i I tried to keep it short i wanted to appreciate the story because it's one of the rare very good ones we're getting it's really interesting it almost feels like um you know in old school when will ferrell like gives his all to answer that one question yeah. and then his brain explodes after that. Like it sometimes feels like WWE is putting so much collective creative brain power into this storyline that by the time Monday rolls around after the weekend, they're just dead. Like they just, <laughs> they have no brain cells left. They're completely unable to book that show, but no, you're right. It's really great. There is a good chance that this Roman reigns entanglement, however you break it down, winds up when we do our awards in December as storyline of the year. Right now, it's really only competing probably with Kenny Omega and, you know, trying to chase all the titles, maybe Hangman Page if they resolve that in AEW. But there's no other truly 
dominant, top-tier wrestling storyline right now other than this. And this one is, to me, it just hits all the right notes every single time. The one thing before we get into this match that I had an issue with is how did they not play into Paul Heyman previously managing Cesaro as a means of him having institutional knowledge about Cesaro being Reigns opponent. They never said it. Maybe Heyman said it on like smack talking smack or something like that. But it was a minor gripe for me that you have this, you're pulling back for all these strings of all these things of Cesaro's past 10 years, never having a world title match. And you could easily have Heyman bring up, I even managed you. I managed Brock Lesnar. I managed Roman Reigns. I couldn't even get you into a title match. That's how big of a failure you are. I thought that was strange. Yeah, and I think it goes to show that clearly they didn't think Cesaro alone could carry the story, and that's partly why you get Jimmy, Jimmy Uso involved. And Rollins. Yeah. So, and Rollins, so there's a lot going around him, and it's not all on him. But that that right, that would have been a way to do it. Where Paul says, "Hey, I managed you, and you failed, and you're not good enough," and and it would it just it would have added a little bit. It would have added a little bit more heat to specifically to Cesaro versus Roman, which didn't quite have that, partly because there was so much else going on. For sure. Now, let's finally get into this match. And man, there's a lot to say. So please bear with me here. Um, (laughs) I just got to break it all down. So before the match, Jimmy was trying to get in Jay's head again about breaking away from Reigns. And then he left the locker room when Reigns appeared. Jay yelled at Jimmy backstage. So Jimmy called him Reigns bitch. And then Jay, right before the match, hyped up Reigns in gorilla position, only for Reigns to get pissed and basically say, I don't want your help. Stay back here. I'm going to go out on my own. Real quick before we get into the match, did you think Jay and or Jimmy would have, once this happened, because going in, we talked about it in the Ultimate Preview, there was a good chance one or both got involved. Once this ended, did you still expect any type of interference or shenanigans around the match? You mean when the match ended? No. At, before the match even began, when they were coming out of gorilla position, when Reigns yelled at Jay and said, you stay backstage, I don't like the way you're talking to me. Oh, yeah. No, of, co- of course. Of course you expect it. I expected interference before that happened. And then when they do that hint, you're always expecting it because this is WWE and they almost always do that. True. But in, in this case in particular, they created the expectation that yeah. Jay and or Jimmy would get involved. And then, you know, we'll get into what happened. But I love when WWE creates an expectation and swerves away from the expectation. And I thought Mm -hmm. they did that expertly here. But let's get into the match. Cesaro frustrated Reigns early, kicking out after some big moves. Then he delivered a ton of uppercuts. Reigns easily broke a sharpshooter, but Cesaro came back with a freaking corkscrew plancha, like he was watching Ray Phoenix or something, and chased (laughs) down Reigns with a European uppercut into the barricade. Reigns worked on Cesaro's arm, and it legit got scraped up his right arm. He also cut his left shoulder. So there was a little bit of blood, but it was hard way blood. Reigns drop kicked him into the ring post and steel steps. Then he went on a really long offensive run. He had a shit eating grin on his face as he wrenched Cesaro's arm back and trash talked directly into the camera, calling out Daniel Bryan. Like, DB, do you see what I'm doing to your boy? I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Cesaro sold the hell out of his arm the entire match, but he was able to vertical suplex Reigns from the ring apron off like the second turnbuckle inside. The bad arm stopped Cesaro from hitting the neutralizer and Reigns kept focusing on it. And then Reigns countered a springboard uppercut with the Superman punch for a 2.9. Cesaro countered a spear with an uppercut, but his arm gave out when he tried a pop-up uppercut and Reigns took advantage with a guillotine. 
Cesaro power lifted Reigns out of it and hit a spine buster, then locked in the sharpshooter, but he didn't have leverage because he could only use one arm. So then he rolled him into a yes lock crossface, again representing Daniel Bryan. Reigns powered out and pummeled Cesaro just as he did Bryan a couple weeks ago. And then he had a sit down power bomb for a 2.99. There were a number of near falls, not in this match, in this entire pay-per-view that gave you that New Japan red shoes 2.99 count. I thought the wrestlers did a great job kicking out late throughout the whole show. Cesaro countered another guillotine with a spine buster, but this time Reigns held on and locked it back in when he landed on the ground. Cesaro tried to get out of it, but his right arm was too weak and he succumbed to the submission as Reigns retained the title to end what I thought was a spectacular match and a very, very worthy main event. This was another squeaky clean win for Reigns back-to-back with Brian. that after basically every title match he had almost before that, not counting, I guess, WrestleMania, everyone preceding WrestleMania, um, all included seemingly some type of interference or help for Reigns. Now they're building him up as a legitimate monster champion. We can talk about the post-match in a minute. Chris, I want to get you in here. I just want to stress how much this rocked and how well it was booked. Reigns is making an argument to be wrestler of the year for 2021. He's dominant both as a character and as an in-ring performer. Cesaro was put over as strong as he possibly could have been and still given an excuse for a loss. This was such a good match to continue establishing Reigns as unbeatable with even without Jey Uso by his side. He overcame everything Cesaro threw at him, just like he did with Brian. This was final grade for the match. 4.75 stars. That's as close as I can go without losing my mind. It's an A+, just like that Daniel Bryan match. Tell me what you thought of the entire match, the storytelling, whatever the hell you want to say. It started off a bit sloppy. And it it, it felt like they weren't exactly sure what they wanted to do with each other. I don't know if because I don't I don't know if they've ever wrestled each other before. But for whatever reason, the first, I don't know, three, four minutes, it felt like they couldn't figure out exactly what they were going to do. People rolled outside. They kind of regathered. But then they started to figure it out. And when Roman started going into that trash talking, that's when everything changed. That's when it all went up another level. That's when the stories came together. The story of Cesaro continuing to try to do uh, the sharpshooter. Uh, Roman continuing to do the guillotine and Cesaro finding ways to get out of it. It started building and building and building and building. And then it, 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 it was exactly what it needed to be by the end when it figured it out. The match time is about 27 minutes, 35 seconds, according to Wikipedia. Perfect. This felt like this felt like WWE wanted to put Cesaro through a WWE style main event and see how he could handle it. Those matches that go that start slow and continue to build and build and build. We don't often get that kind of match from Cesaro because he can do so many incredible things. But they took their time with it. They eventually got there. They told stories throughout the match. And commentary was great. Yeah. Cole and, and McAfee at telling that story. Because it was a slower match, especially early on, they had a lot of space to fill. And they did a really good job doing that. I think it was incredibly well planned and executed by everybody. If Pat stays at this job for a long time, he has an opportunity to be an all-time color commentator for wrestling. Like, it's going to take years. I mean, 10 years, you know? And I don't know that he'll do that. But he has that potential. And it's just incredible to hear him. Um, like, three weeks into his career being as good as he is. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah everything you said is kind of nails here. 
I just, I don't know that they could have done a better job because again, they, they countered expectation by not having either of the Usos get involved. There were so many references back to the storyline itself with using the Daniel Bryan moves and, and literally Reigns calling him out live into the camera. And that's a topic we'll talk about either a little bit later in this show or maybe even on Tuesday in our WWE episode. How many times Daniel Bryan was referenced in this pay-per-view? It was a lot for a guy who reportedly, quote unquote, is not under contract. It's very, very interesting. What I thought was particularly great is that we got a extremely exciting finish with a lot of near falls, but without finisher spam. And if you look yes. at NXT and you look at AEW for sure, and New Japan as well, not that I dislike this because some of my favorite matches end in this way, but you get finisher, signature move, finisher, finisher, all multiple finishers, all near falls, can't put the guy away, try an old finisher, try a new finisher, you know, and it's just one after the other. They kind of did that here but they didn't use pinfall finishers. Right, so you had exactly. Just, it, was, it was almost all submission. You had the sharpshooter, the yes lock, and three different guillotines. They did not do the swing. There was no swing. There was no yep. UFO. There was no spear, I don't think, in the entire match. So I love that. That was so unique and different. I mean, I don't care what other people grade this, and I know you don't usually do a grade for each match, and I know you don't ever do a star rating. But I'm kind of curious if you, if I was forcing you to grade this, where you'd come out on it, because it wasn't the same as the Daniel Bryan match, which was kicking out of spears, kicking out of running knees, not being able to make the cover. This was a totally different type of match that we almost never get from in terms of the finish from WWE. And I just thought it was outstanding. Yeah, that's a good point. We were waiting for the spin and, and McAfee actually kept calling out the the, the, the swing. Kept thinking the swing was coming, but it wasn't. It was a sharpshooter every time they did it. I, I'm, I, I'm curious. I'm just curious the the discussions they had as to why they decided to do that. Not well, the arm. Go, That's why. Well, I no. I mean, to to have a match that doesn't have any of the flashiness, doesn't have uh, the the spear, doesn't have any of the stuff. It was it was a submission based yeah. match. There was one. Much. There was one Superman punch the entire time. I yeah, think. yeah. It, it, it was into. Put together such a good match without falling back on any of that stuff is really a credit to both of these guys, and it goes to sh it goes back to show just how good of a professional wrestler Roman Reigns is, and how much how how he doesn't get enough credit. I mean, obviously Cesaro is Cesaro; he's one of the best, but I think Roman held his own in this one and showed he could do more than three moves of doom type of stuff and put together a really really good match. And he made that comment to Cesaro something like. I love doing this kind of stuff because I love doing this stuff. I love doing it's like, this I love wrestling. wrestling. I think. He yes. Said yeah. And, and, and Cole immediately picks up on that and says he's talking about when Cesaro and Daniel Bryan said Roman only does this for a paycheck. He doesn't do it because he loves doing this. So that's a great callback by Roman. Great catch by Cole to bring it all back. And it all highlights that. Yeah. Roman does like doing this. He likes kicking Cesaro's ass. Just just. So good, so smart, and that's just that's how you build a character, and that's how you dig, go deep to pull something out from before. Roman's some of Roman's best stuff since he's been in this role has has been his trash talking in the ring, and that's been one of the positives, positives whatever you want to call it, out of the pandemic is that he's developed a character through his wrestling, 
And we never had that before. He's always just a superhero guy who does a super bunch of Superman punches. He's a complete wrestler now. And yeah, we and, saw that here. And his character develops within his matches, not only in his promos and the storytelling in WWE. Yeah. And that, again, is something often extremely rare in WWE. But Roman Reigns is doing that. Just to jump off on that comment, then, because we do need to move on. Michael Cole was outstanding calling this main event. And people are going to hate me saying that. They're also going to hate me saying, even though I'm prefacing it, Adnan Verk was very good calling the Raw main event as well. So a little surprised for me on both of those, but the commentary in those matches was actually very damn good for both of them. But let's move on to the one one quick commentary, one quick commentary point. They were both very good, but I think having them on the same show, comparing Adnan's situation and Cole's situation, you can tell the two-man booth makes it, it, it's so much easier for them to tell a story because they don't all need to get stuff in. Three man, they're all just kind of reacting in real time to what's going on. The the, the Cole, and Mac, Cole and Pat McAfee were able to tell the story while Adnan did a really good job, but I think the nature of the three-man booth is that you can't really do that. So while you're completely right about that, I would not, as of today, trust Adnan Verk in a two-man booth. So he needs it as a crutch, but you're right. Eventually, if he does get good, ideally Raw would be a two-man booth. I agree with you on that. All right, let's talk about the post-match here because a lot of stuff happened after the match went down. So Jay ran down after the match to put those red beads or jewels around Rain's neck and celebrate with his cousin. We did not see Jimmy at all. Jay then got incensed at Cesaro's level of competition and like how tough of a time he gave Reigns. So he just attacked him with Reigns watching and smiling. That let out Seth Rollins, which was a total surprise. And he stands face to face with Reigns, which is another tease that something might happen. Like maybe we get Reigns Rollins at SummerSlam or something like that. But instead of standing up to him or doing anything like that, he gives that huge shit-eating grin, smile with the exaggerated laugh, steps away from Reigns, and goes to beat the shit out of Cesaro outside the ring. Throws him into the steps, throws him over the announce table. He then wraps a chair around Cesaro's injured arm, but instead of stepping on it like we've seen a million times in wrestling, he uses it to twist the arm back and forth, and then slammed it into the ring post before hitting the stomp on Cesaro and then celebrating in the ring as the pay-per-view went off the air. It is so rare that you see a non-title storyline develop after a championship match to end a pay-per-view, especially in WWE, which these days almost never ends pay-per-views with storylines. That used to happen All the time back in the Attitude Era, that go-home moment, they they put the logo on the screen, and you're like, all right, time to go to sleep. And then all of a sudden, there's an attack. NXT is known for doing that. They do a great job, most notably, obviously, the Tommaso Ciampa turn on Johnny Gargano. But we never get that in WWE. And I know this was not a surprise return or uh, a surprise attack from a storyline that wasn't already happening. But even though this was a longer feud, it was a nice reprieve that we had with the Reigns match for Cesaro. And this just reignited the Rollins-Cesaro feud. I don't want this to go on the same way we had Rollins and Rey Mysterio or the same way we had Edge and Randy Orton. That just never seemed to freaking end. But this worked so well for me. We got a Rollins-Reigns tease, a good way to potentially write Cesaro off either for a month or so 
or at least a few weeks ahead of the next pay-per-view to give them a little bit of time. And they gave us a reason to tune into SmackDown. This was a huge W for me in every possible way. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta say when, man, when, when Rollins and Roman were face to face, that was, that was, that felt like that could be a moment. Like we could get yeah. back to that at some point and I can't wait until they do, but it's also in Seth's character to not give that to us yet. And to do that shit in green and that laugh and, and go after. You also have to uh, figure out how the hell are you going to turn this guy face after all this time? Yeah. And, and I don't. I, I think they could make I least. think they could make it work with two heels in some form, but we it's not it's not for today to talk about it. It was a great um, it was a surprising first. I mean, not a surprise to him, but like you said, when Seth comes out, you're confused. We'll see what happens. Sex was says, oh, I can't wait to see what happens on SmackDown. Like you said, that's exactly what they do. They continue to set these things up. One last thing on Seth Rollins, his music sucks. <laughs> so much yeah the, the the burn it down i love the burn it down it just does not work with the current song for as good as they got roman's theme seth's is brutal and i know he's a heel and whatever it's just no it's bad it's, it's bad. you can't even make out what it is it, it's just it's bad all right before we move on quickly it seems to me that as of today as we sit here sunday night cesaro is the top baby face on smackdown brian's gone Biggie and Kevin Owens are heavily involved in the mid-card storyline for the Intercontinental title. And I don't know anyone else on that brand because Aleister Black's not coming in as a face. At least it doesn't seem like he is. And even if he was, he would have to get established. That seems like a heavy lift for me when you wonder, well, what's the plan? Are they maybe going to actually put the title on Cesaro, whether it's at SummerSlam, if he gets past Rollins, what are they going to do with Reigns in the interim? Are they going to do a Roman Reigns, Jimmy Uso feud like they did with Jay a couple years ago, or a couple uh, months ago for a few months? If not, I could see this match repeating, not immediately because clearly he's going back to Rollins, but I think there's a good chance that Cesaro for a short period of time is the top babyface on the entire brand. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, what I think happens next is Jimmy and Roman. And it, it's Hell in a Cell next. We remember we had... You repeat uh, it? Yeah. Jay versus, uh, Jay versus Roman in the Hell in a Cell last year. You can kind of run back that same kind of story, I think. So, especially since we didn't get any interference by him, I think that's where it's going next. And does that make him the top baby? No. Is the top baby Cesaro? Probably. I mean, if you were to put a crowd out there, I think the top baby face would be... Kevin Owens. No, no, no. It would be Cesaro. After that match, it would be Cesaro. I don't know, man. Kevin Owens is like over like even way more than I thought. Like they love, they made paper signs for this guy. <laughs> no one, there's, but, there's, may, there's maybe no one in WWE. I'd even possibly say more than Big E. Seriously. There's maybe no one in WWE fans probably want to win the title more than Cesaro. I, 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 I would put Kevin Owens right up there. I think about the pop he got for the Sami Zayn match at WrestleMania coming, it was, it was in a spot. It was right after the, I think it was right after the fiend match, I think on the second night. So everybody was down. Kevin Owens got a huge pop. They get, this is awesome chance in that match. I think Kevin Owens is still riding a lot of goodwill from his previous Roman feud. Not that he should be in a Roman feud now, but, but I, I put, I would put him right up there with Cesaro. I think his top baby. Okay, it was a good conversation. Maybe we will continue it on Tuesday. We just spent nearly 30 minutes on 
one match. So let's move on. We got plenty more to talk about. The WWE Championship was on the line in the co-main event, even though they didn't call it that. Bobby Lashley defending in a triple threat against Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. I tweeted this before the match, but at 923 combined pounds, this was the biggest, <laughs> meatiest world title match that we have seen in WWE since SummerSlam 2017. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And that was Lesnar, Reigns, Strowman, and Samoa Joe. And that was a hell of a match. So this one, in terms of weight, compared significantly to it. What I did not expect was that in terms of entertainment value, it would compare similarly to that as well. Lashley and McIntyre teamed up for a mighty impressive double delayed vertical suplex on Strowman, who came back with an absolutely absurd running cannonball into both dudes off the ring apron outside. Lashley did the almighty spinebuster to Strowman, who drilled him with the steel steps twice outside. McIntyre knocked Strowman over the barricade with a claymore, then rammed Lashley into the LEDs on the stage before throwing him through some of the LED boards and like electricity and sparks and all that type of stuff going off. Braun threw McIntyre down the ramp and then hit a running senton in the ring, which I don't think he's, half these moves Strowman has never done before. He really went all out in this match. McIntyre then shocked with shocked me with a Mishinoku driver <laughs> on 344-pound Braun Strowman somehow, and they did a 2.99 count. I talked about the near falls. This was a great one. Awesome kick out by Braun. McIntyre caught Strowman doing his train deal with a belly-to-belly suplex, uh, exploder suplex outside, but Strowman countered a Claymore into a powerbomb through the announce table. McIntyre countered a running power slam back in the ring with a Claymore. Then all of a sudden, Lashley shows up, throws him outside, and hits his spear on Strowman for the win. So there's two parts of this match. The finish was pretty telegraphed considering how long they waited after the Lashley spot to actually get to the finish. But that did not detract from how much this match absolutely ruled in every way. This may have been the best match of Strowman's career. He did so many exciting athletic things. The guy actually looks like a million dollars. He is completely ripped. If you guys remember, a few months ago, he was sick. It wasn't COVID, but I think he had some uh, other type of thing going on. He kept coming in and out. He wasn't able to completely wrestle at all those times he started wearing the shirt. And this guy just looks like he's chiseled now out of like Bobby Lashley style. It was insane to see what he could do. McIntyre was built up. He looked great without being pinned. Lashley retained in a big man three-way. This was well booked. It was well wrestled. There were no major mistakes. It's not an all-timer or anything, but it was nonstop action. And it was pure, unadulterated. So I don't know how I don't give this an A. This is an A match. It was a 4.5. I was excited the entire time. I loved it. Yeah, this was the best you could hope for out of all of these guys. We know they've put together good matches with each other. Drew and Lashley have put together good matches. We've seen Braun, whether it's with Roman or with Big Show, with big guys, he wrestles well. He, he 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 handles that spot well. And yeah, he's getting better and better and better. I mean, you think back to you know those Big Show and Roman matches and then you see what he's doing now. He continues to get better. He looks great. He shouldn't wrestle in that green shirt. He should wrestle without a shirt because he looks insane. And he, he looks just bigger, stronger, just ridiculous. So uh, yeah, this was 
this was exactly what you wanted out of something like this. Just a bunch of big dudes ramming into each other, throwing each other through things. They had a great go home on Raw when they, when they, when they were beating the crap out of each other, and they, they carried over into this match. Just just a whole ball of fun, and the type of thing where you just like you what you watch and you feel like you can go run through a wall because you see these guys running through walls. It was awesome. Would you agree that these were one and two the matches of the night? Uh, yeah, I I, I think that's pretty clear. Let me I'm trying to remember what else there is. Uh, Women's yeah, no, threat without for a, a doubt, maybe. With, with, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I was you know this pay per view, and we'll, we're going to talk about the full grade later. It wasn't bad for most of it was really damn good. Some of it was great or even early on. But something happened that that really took me out of it for a while. I have n- I don't think I've ever been taken out of a pay-per-view to such a degree and brought back to such a degree. By the way, this closed with its final three matches. I really really enjoyed this show and this match was a large reason why. I'm not going to go on too more about this because we do have another WWE episode coming Tuesday where we will talk about everything that happens on Raw, along with some extra stuff from SmackDown and, and other stories and, and themes that we decided that we want to talk about. And we will catch back up on Lashley, McIntyre, and or Strowman once we see what happens on Monday night. So let's move over to the women. Uh, we had the SmackDown Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Bailey. Very briefly from SmackDown, Michael Cole barely interviewed Belair for a minute. Then Bailey appeared via satellite and said she'd win her title back. It was fine enough on its own as a segment, and Bailey was great as usual, but it's just a continuation of a really bland storyline between them with no juice whatsoever. And both shows, both SmackDown and Raw, really slacked in terms of the actual booking of these women's championship matches. But let's get into the match itself from WrestleMania Backlash. Belair dominated early and hit a great handstand moonsault for a near fall. She also hit a delayed vertical suplex. And McAfee was great referencing Davy Boy Smith when she did that. Uh, Belair then completely threw Bailey out of the ring while kicking out of a pinfall. Bailey dropped Belair's stomach first onto the steel steps and laughed in the champion's face. So Belair went off and did a glam slam vertically into the ring apron for a 2.8. Belair twice kicked out of pinning combinations as Bailey used the ropes to try to get leverage. Then Bailey raked Belair's eyes and did a ripcord Bailey to belly using Belair's braid to like do the ripcord for a 2.9 count after Belair early in the match, very early, said not to touch her hair. I love that spot. It was great. Bailey then wrapped the braid around her leg, I guess, to pull her in tighter and catch her so she couldn't move to go for her finisher, the rose plant. But Belair countered with the braid uh, by basically rolling Bailey over and folding her back, try to get a pinfall. Uh, the braid did slip out at the end and Bailey's legs kind of fell forward but her shoulders stayed down. Belair got the one, two, three, and the match ended. Bailey was screaming about Belair cheating after cheating herself the entire match. It was typical, really good heel stuff. Bailey was the MVP of the match by ensuring Belair looked like a total star throughout the entire thing, sold her ass off for her. The booking and the storytelling, it was extremely solid playing into the finish. And I told you, Chris, when we talked about it in the Ultimate Preview, you said I was being a pessimist, that this would not be a one-match feud and it would just keep going on. And I have a feeling that's what's about to happen. But regardless of that, we're talking about this match tonight. Despite the miscues, it was good. Probably a 3.5, a B when all is said and done. But it was very entertaining and it definitely delivered better than the storytelling on SmackDown made me think it would. Yeah, and and I didn't say it wouldn't be a one-match thing. I just, 
wanted to wait till we got there. This felt like this felt like the kind of match where they know they have a lot more to give and they're saving it. I mean, it was a really good match, but if it felt like they know that they can build to stuff in future matches that are probably coming up now. So, yeah, the build was nothing. I, I was kind of annoyed again on SmackDown that, we're, that we weren't seeing Bianca Belair pick up wins going into this. It's been a strange month with her as champion. It's like they're cutting more promos with her than having her win matches when the entire draw of her is her athletic ability and ability to win matches, not the promo stuff. Put her so, in matches. Yes. Yeah. Like that. that's, that's her strength. Like have her do amazing athletic feats. That's what gets her over. That's why we like her. That's the point. Um, so they didn't do much of that going into this. So I, I'm curious what they do now coming out of it because it can't be Bailey Bianca promos every week with each other. That's just it's not good for anybody. So this was this was good um, and probably going to get more of it. So hopefully hopefully it actually builds and they can kind of add some to it. I agree. So let's move over to the Raw Women's Championship. Rhea Ripley defending in a triple threat against Asuka and Charlotte Flair. This opened the main pay-per-view. It was the first match on the main card. Charlotte looked really cool, dressed like Cruella DeVille. <laughs> Ripley was given heel responses from the Thunderdome, just in case you wondered if she was supposed to be face or heel on the match. I did. Yeah. There was good fluid action from all three early, with Flair constantly trash-talking. Asuka went on a big run and basically did alternating yes kicks, another Daniel Bryan reference. Flair did her top rope moonsault outside but the challengers did a double superplex on her back inside the ring. They all brawled on their knees and countered each other's kicks. Charlotte flipped out of a double vertical suplex and then hit a double natural selection and tried for a double pinfall, but both women kicked out. Flair then missed a double, double moonsault from the top rope inside the ring. All three countered each other's finishers. Asuka ate a boot from Flair, who was on the ring apron. Her foot snuck between the top and middle rope. That led Flair to fall down outside and Ripley to catch Asuka with the Riptide for the win. And of course, Charlotte was incensed and yelling at ringside as Ripley teased her. But again, she's a heel, so maybe she's a tweener and that's how they're going to play it. Uh, this match totally exceeded my expectations and was easily the best that Ripley has looked since she joined the Raw roster. And that's not really saying much because she's only had like four or five matches, but this was the best out of all of them. Charlotte does not get enough credit. And this is a great example because she helped elevate what had otherwise been a really rough pairing between Ripley and Asuka. They just were not working well together in the singles matches, but this as a triple threat came off incredibly well. It was predictable that Charlotte didn't take the fall because God forbid they allow Charlotte to take the fall in any scenario. But Asuka being blindsided with a loss here doesn't hurt her. She's already lost to Ripley. And Ripley continues to look strong because she did beat Asuka. She doesn't look as strong as she would have if she beat Flair but she still looks strong from being a multi-time world champion and a future Hall of Famer. This was a win all around for me. It was a surprisingly good start to the show. And I thought no matter what I did, that this was going to be in a B range. But when I compared it to the other matches on the show, it, I ended up giving it four stars and an A minus. This was a damn good women's match. And it was better than the SmackDown match, even though the SmackDown match was also very enjoyable. Oh, yeah. No, for, for sure. I mean, I picked Charlotte to win this match, and the reason was because... Oh, but I, did I trash talk you after on Twitter because you got it wrong? Like, you did... Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Did you? I may have missed it. I was No, I didn't. That's game. my point. Oh, I okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I did to you later. I will get to the... Yeah, no shit. Later. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I'm, su I'm surprised at a few things. I'm surprised 
that Ripley won, but also they treated her as the heel again, like I said, because it seems to be going toward Rhea Charlotte because Charlotte still has her claim. She lost kind of a flukily, fluky way. But no, you're, Charlotte has absolutely elevated this feud. She's been really, really, really good since WrestleMania. And she's been taking the shine away from Rhea, partly because the Rhea booking hasn't been good, but partly because Charlotte's been knocking it out of the park with her promos and everything like that. I was expecting a Charlotte win to start a reign that lasts like a year or something like that. I know she's already a 13, 14 time champion or something like that. So it's kind of, I guess you got to pick and choose your spots with her now, but this was a really fun match. Um, I was kind of surprised at the ending, but now I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. Cause it's gotta be Charlotte Rhea now at some point. And uh, I don't really know where that's going to go, but I'll tell you this, I'm looking forward to what comes of this on raw. And it's not often I can say that with any raw storyline. I'm apprehensively looking forward to it. Like I, I want to see what happens, but everything is just so repetitive with these two, even though Ripley and Flair does not have a long-term storyline this this version of the storyline is not long term everything they do just seems to be with with charlotte so repetitive and we got fresh charlotte for two weeks where we were really excited about her promos and then all of a sudden it just ended up becoming well i'm charlotte flair i deserve title matches which is what it always is with her right she was shit talking the division and kind of breaking kayfabe a little bit and talking about reality and then it just kind of went back to i'm charlotte flair i'm the best and whatever so i'm apprehensive at what we're gonna get but am I do am I curious? Yeah, I am kind of curious what happens on Raw. But I will say this: I nailed this match, and I nailed the reasoning for it. If they're going to have Ripley lose the title, they're not going to do it one month after she won it at WrestleMania. Considering she lost the NXT title at WrestleMania one year ago, it just would mean she can't beat these women, and she doesn't deserve to be on the main roster. So I'm totally fine with this going one more month, and not fine. I, I expected it to go one more, more month, and I'm glad that it is going one more month. I do think there's an above average chance that when Ripley does fight Flair one-on-one, Flair actually wins. And we'll argue and discuss whether that's a good idea for her to go over Ripley if they actually do that. But that is what I anticipate. Uh, Let's move on to the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match, the Dirty Dogs against the Mysterios. On SmackDown, Ray faced Dolph Ziggler one-on-one. Ziggler dodged a 619 and countered with a Famouser for a near fall. And then Mysterio eventually rolled up Ziggler for the win. Backstage, Ziggler trash-talked Dominic again. And Robert Roode said they would take out his dad. Now, tonight at WrestleMania Backlash, Ziggler and Roode bullied Dominic backstage during the kickoff show and then attacked him, dumping a couch on top of him. It actually looked like Velveteen Dream's couch, just in case anyone is wondering. Maybe that is the reason for that. Dominic ended up getting cleared by the doctor but Ray wouldn't let him fight because he was favoring his ribs and clearly hurt. So we get into the match. Ray was on a tear after his entrance, but he quickly got overwhelmed two-on-one. The Dirty Dogs were awesome in this match. They drove this match and and did a great job. Uh, They had an awesome elevated Famouser, which could totally be their finisher and should be their finisher, by the way. It was such a good move, Uh, but it only went for a 2.9. Rude then tossed Ray out of the ring uh, under the bottom rope. And Ziggler super kicked him as he was sliding outside. Again, a ridiculously awesome move. Ray was able to throw both of the dirty dogs into the ring post. And suddenly Dominic starts limping down the ramp. Ray refused to tag. Uh, then he kicked out of a zigzag. Ray hit Rude with an avalanche bulldog. And Dominic tagged himself in, but ate a huge spine buster and a double team neck breaker for a 2.8. Rude screamed at him as Dominic countered Ziggler's super kick with one of his own. 
Ray hit Rude with a 619 and tagged Dominic. Uh, Ray then did a sliding sunset flip powerbomb onto Ziggler outside and let Dominic hit the frog splash for the one, two, three as the Mysterios won the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Now, Chris, I'm going to let you go first with your opinion here because you were so excited to get this one right for some freaking reason. Meanwhile, the Silver King has been talking about Rey Mysterio after this was during the I versus I, I for an I feud. I said, man, I can't wait for this to end. And the way I would book this is I would have Rey team up with his son and become a tag team and become the first father son team in WWE to win the tag team champions championship. So you can gloat about getting it right on our ultimate preview. I called this shit like eight months ago, but you go ahead and enjoy. You you can call things eight months ago. You got to call them when the moment sure. is up and you sure. missed the moment. That, no, I called Rhea Ripley winning, didn't I? So, you did. I, I got that one wrong. I got that one wrong. It, it, so I was, I w- my, my emotions on this changed as it went throughout. When, when, when Dominic gets hurt and he's out, I'm thinking, oh, is he going to have a new partner and he'll lose and they're going to save the Mysterio thing for SummerSlam, like, like, like you had called. Then Dominic comes out and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is a way to give them an excuse to lose and get a rematch later or something like that. Maybe it's that. But then when Ray wouldn't tag Dominic in, that's when they got me. That's when I was like, oh man, I can feel this one now. I can feel the emotions of the story they're telling. The father doesn't want to put his son in harm's way because he's injured in this match and he's going to take the beating for him, even if it costs them the championship or something like that. That was so cool. Such great booking, planning, storytelling, whoever did that. And then Dominic obviously tags himself in and they go and the finish was great. Um, I, I I I called it, but I didn't expect it to happen that way. Actually, like I said, as it was going on early on, I thought you were going to be right with the way it played out. But this was such a good story. I can only just imagine if this was in front of a crowd and how crazy the crowd would have gone for the tag, for the finish, for the whole thing. This was so good. The, the, the Dirty Dogs are great. I'm really enjoying them as a tag team, too, as well. Uh, this was this was one of the best moments of the show. Maybe not the best match or anything like that, but, but in terms of a story they told and the moments that it produced, really, really good. It was a good moment on the show. Um, this was a surprise for me. Not because of the result, necessarily. On our preview, I explained why this could happen. But because of the booking, I'm not sure why the Mysterios needed to overcome additional adversity. I agree. And I'm not sure why Dominic at 24 needed to be put over even stronger when he already doesn't lose matches. But I will say that the storytelling did make for a more compelling match and finish than we otherwise would have gotten. So on one hand, I get why they did it. And it was a good piece of booking. But on the other hand, it was just like, why does a father-son team with a 24-year-old neophyte need to have that 24-year-old get beat up? Now, if they had done it the opposite way of Ray getting beat up backstage and Dominic having to go out there and take these guys on and Ray coming down and really gutting it out, that may have made even more sense than trying to put Dominic over as like, the way Dominic has performed so far in WWE at age 24 it's maybe second only to like Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton, or third, I guess, to Brock <laughs> Lesnar and Randy Orton. Like truly, he's he, I'm, and I don't hate it because I don't care about the nepotism. I don't care that um, he's getting opportunities that others may not, or he, most other people would have gone to NXT and he's not. I don't care about any of that. He is very good in the ring. 
and he deserves the spot that he has, and he continues proving it in the matches with Rollins, in the tag team stuff, stuff with his father. It's all really good. But the win ultimately fell flat for me because to have a guy as popular as Rey Mysterio win a title, by the way, now the longest stretch between tag team titles in WWE history for a single performer. It was previously a record held by the New Age Outlaws. Now it's Rey Mysterio. But to do that and to have a guy as popular as him win a title in front of nobody when they could have done it a month ago at WrestleMania and not moved it to SmackDown for no good reason, it was still a good piece of business across the board. And I'm going to grade the match high. I'm going to give it a 3.75 and a B plus because it was incredibly entertaining. But there was something missing for me. You're going to have crowds back seemingly in two months in July, and you're certainly going to have them at SummerSlam. Did you have to do this now? Did you have to take the titles off of the Dirty Dogs? When for the, I mean, they've looked like a tag team for a few months and acted like one, but this was their best match as a tag team. It's finally coming together, and now you take the titles off of them. It was just a little, while I was enjoying it and cheering for them, and I was, it was happy, I was happy to see Rey Mysterio be happy. I just felt like this could have been handled better entirely. I I agree. I I thought that should have happened at WrestleMania. We thought it was going to happen until they did the weird thing, putting it on SmackDown, whatever. That that's what we had picked back at the time. So, but I think you can separate. There, I think you can separate two different things. Was this the right time to do it? The right place to do it? I don't know. But in the vacuum of the story they told on Sunday night here, I loved that. Yeah. And I want to credit them for that in the story they told. Imagine if they had done that exact story at Mania. You know, imagine the crowd for that. Like, that would have been nuts. But absolutely. Yes. Yeah. St- still, still think what they did on this show worked. What, larger concerns about Dominic, about time and place. I don't know. But I thought just in this moment, they told a really good story and credit to whoever came up with that idea. I'm with you on that. So, we got two more matches left, one other on the main card and one on the kickoff show. Let's talk about uh, Damian Priest against The Miz in a lumberjack match. <laughs> so John Morrison goes into the lumberjack locker room, which, by the way, has never existed before. Uh, and it's filled with fucking zombies. <laughs> the Miz and Priest make their entrances. And the zombies start appearing all around the ring with smoke and dark graphics, the Thunderdome's turned off. Not the, the lights and stuff, but the people are turned off. They did this with absolutely no relevance whatsoever to the match, purely to promote the sponsor movie, the name of which I will not say on this podcast because they paid WWE for promotion. They didn't pay the Silver King. <laughs> if you want to do this in October or you want to do it for Halloween, or you want to do it at a pay-per-view called, I don't know, the horror show at Extreme Rules. And that is going to be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that? I didn't like it, Bailey. I would have given them a little leniency if they did it in any of those circumstances. But to do it in the middle of May at WrestleMania Backlash made zero sense. It's one thing if you're asking me as a wrestling fan to suspend disbelief for a storyline or for a character like The Fiend or Kane or The Undertaker. But not I'm not going to suspend disbelief 
for a marketing gimmick in the middle of your pay-per-view. This was pathetic and it was insulting. And it took me out of the show beyond the end of the match for like a good 30 minutes, at least with the KFC shit when they did the Colonel and I think HBK was the Colonel and Dolph Ziggler was the Colonel. Those were pre-taped things. They were not in front of fans and they were purely for advertising. You knew it was an advertisement. This was supposed to be a blow off to a feud where you're in the middle of building Damian Priest into something coming out of him working at WrestleMania with one of the biggest music stars in the world. And the way that you think, or or maybe you don't care, that you're going to treat this guy is to put him in a zombie lumberjack match in mid-May at WrestleMania Backlash. Priest and Miz were interrupted by the zombies, and then they teamed up to fight them. Morrison (laughs) ran in, Miz hit Daniel Bryan's running knee on Priest, and Priest kicked out at 2.9. Then Morrison started fighting with the zombies until he was eaten by them (laughs) over the barricade. I will admit, I did at that moment let out a slight chuckle and and a what the hell am I watching type of thing in that one moment for a split second. Priest then hit hit the lights and he won the match. He dipped and he did the archery thing while the zombies are eating the Miz alive in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Fuck this entire thing. I have never, ever given an F for a match. This was an F. Now, I won't give it 0.0, even though I did tweet that, because the talent in this match, the Miz, Damian Priest, and John Morrison... They worked really hard to do their job and do what their employer, WWE, asked them to do. So they get partial credit. This gets 0.5 stars. I don't have a 0.5, you know, sound drop. So it gets these instead. 0.0. 0. 0. 0. 0.0, Mr. Blutarski. This is bullshit, man. This is for crap. This was not a great idea. Okay, a lot to take in there. First off, did you enjoy that? That was catharsis for me. I just want to say. No, I I really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed you retelling that whole thing for sure. I appreciate that. Okay, the reason it's happening in May is because that's when the movie comes out. They they can't get I get that, man. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) So so first i don't know we didn't know that the show was sponsored by the movie until like it happened it was like halfway through the show suddenly the show had a new sponsor I, that was weird because they kept promoting it later it was just it was a weird random thing like if they had if they had set this up on raw and be like uh, why are there zombies? I don't know. Their zombies are there. And then they decide to have a zombie lumberjack match and you can like build up a zombie lumberjack match, promoting the movie, whatever. It was just so random. It came out of nowhere. And that that's part of it, I, I think. And that, that's why you kind of react so negatively to an ad when they're hitting you in the middle of the show because they think they're getting one by you or something like that, as opposed to it being a buildup. Two, Damian Priest, you're right. This is now two pay-per-views now where he has come out of this as an afterthought. Bad Bunny stole the show in, in the tag match. 
barely talked about Priest in that one. And now this one, now we're talking about zombies eating Miz and Morrison, and we're not talking about Damian Priest. That's a problem. We need to be talking about Damian Priest when he's coming out of these feuds, especially if he's winning them. Beating a multi-time former WWE champion. Yeah, the only two-time Grand Slam champion, and he didn't get anything out of it, at least at the end. I know he beat them individually before, but this was supposed to be the moment. Third, on the Zombies... So I, I, I coincidentally, I watched World War Z yesterday. It popped up on FX when I was watching TV. So th- that immediately came to mind for this. And I don't know. I thought it was funny. I, I The problem was in a, in a Damien Priest Ms. Bluff, you don't want funny to be the, the go, go home, go away bit. But I thought it was funny. Morrison was really funny. Morrison is really funny when he does these kinds of things. I just I don't know what's going to happen next. I hope they lean into it. Are Miz and Morrison going to come back as zombies? I mean, we just dealt with the fiend burning to death and that was the story. And he came back and everybody's, I guess, over it. Randy, Randy Orton murdered a dude. If they don't, if they don't write those guys off. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. If they don't write those guys off for at least a month, I'm going to be furious. Yeah, no, do you got to do something like that. But so, yeah, I mean, we saw. Randy Orton murdered somebody at TLC and everybody just kind of moved on. That was weird. I brought that up at the time. And and now we've got a zombie attack. Like, shouldn't everybody be freaking out that there's zombies in their ring? <laughs> shouldn't Adnan Burke want to be to get the hell out of there? It's just, they did. It, they did, though. I, I, the, the con- I will say, again, I gave credit, and I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but yeah, no. I, gave, I, gave, I gave credit to the talent. Commentary sold it really well, too. They got the F out of there. They jumped over that barricade. They were talking about now we're calling the match from a safe location. Oh, I must have missed that. That must have yeah. been when I was in Corey was crapping on it a little game. bit okay. during it on commentary. So okay. there was parts of that. And that's why it okay. gets 0.5 and not a 0.0. I'm sorry. Okay. I, that was when I was transitioning. I yeah. must have missed that part. I just remember Adnan Verk talking about the movie, talking about how Dave Batista's in it and that being the promotion. I missed that part. Oh, yeah. So, so good for them on that. And then my only other thought was that would have been a great idea for a Fiend match. A lumberjack match with zombies would have sure. been like you, you think of different things to do with the fiend. Like that would have been a really cool way to do that. I don't know if you could have if this was I don't know when this became a plan again, because they didn't talk about zombies last week on Raw. It just popped up. But if they knew this was coming, plan an Alexa Bliss match around this or something like that and do a, zo- a zombie lumberjack match of some kind. Like, I think it's a real missed opportunity, honestly, to to make it a funny bit with Miz instead of doing something. I think that would have worked really well and played into what WWE does. So mostly, you know, I thought it was funny. It was whatever, not good for Damian Priest, but mostly I think they could have done it a lot better with somebody else. I mean, if they had figured out a freaking way to work the fiend into it, and I just don't even know how you do it and make me like it, but a separate storyline where he's dealing with the 24 seven title where Akira Tozawa and our truth are involved in this and a zombie pins our truth. And you know what I mean? And then they get over like, that's what this should have been. This should have been honestly, this, this should have revolved zombie, around the 24 seven championship zombie winning 24 seven championship. I'm down with that. Yeah. I like, like that. they should have like, done that. They have that on raw. You have that ability with, they had ninjas and they had, and crazy ridiculous yeah. shit with the 24 seven title. You have nothing that you're doing nothing. You have not done anything with our truth or this title. Not that I want them to, but you haven't done anything with it for a, a few weeks. Um, ever since WrestleMania, I don't think they've touched it. So do the zombie shit with it. Do it. 
backstage throughout the entire show, have Miz and Morrison uh, try to avoid it. Have one of the zombies bite Morrison. And during the match, he's at ringside and he starts freaking out a little bit. (laughs) You can do funny, tongue-in-cheek, stupid stuff. It's wrestling. You can do it. But what you cannot do is put that as the entire storyline of a match that going into the match had nothing to do with that storyline. And you have a guy who you're trying to push, or we think that they're trying to push, who gets completely overlooked by it. And it didn't ruin Damian Priest. There will be people who say... Damian Priest is ruined, and that's not true. No, he he doesn't look bad in any of this. He just no, but he's, come he out gets overlooked good. in it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't think he got overlooked with the Bad Bunny thing at Mania. But my point is, his profile was raised by Bad Bunny, and now instead of capitalizing on that and having him beat Miz and saying he beat a two-time Grand Slam champion, as you were saying, we're talking about Damian Priest is the only one out of three wrestlers who was not eaten alive by zombies in the <laughs> middle of WrestleMania backlash in May, like. It's just dog shit. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. We actually have, shockingly, a kickoff show match that was very good that I want to get to and before we get out of here with some other topics. Let's just move on. Uh, we'll see if... I want to see if they follow up with this on Raw. I am curious to see Raw more for that than anything else, I got to say. Yeah. Uh, so in the kickoff show, about five minutes before the kickoff show began, WWE announced that Sheamus would have another open challenge. They didn't say whether it was for a title match or not. Sheamus comes out to the ring. He cuts the same promo as he has the last two weeks or three weeks about doing an open challenge and not putting the title on the line because he's not a dope. Ricochet answered the challenge in street clothes with his wrist tape. As a quick aside, I should say there's those three Ricochet Mustafa Ali matches on main event. They're like two weeks behind on Peacock WWE Network. I just saw the first one. It was very good. I'm very excited to see the other two. Getting back to this. Ricochet comes out in street clothes, his wrists are tape, he's wearing all black. And I thought it was a really cool touch because open challenges are supposed to be spontaneous. So I like that he was not in full gear ready yes. when he was not otherwise booked on the show. Ricochet hit a standing shooting star press and a springboard moonsault for a near fall. Then he nailed a backstabber and a springboard 360 splash for another near fall. They both countered each other's finisher. And then Sheamus caught Ricochet with a knee to the jaw for the win. Sheamus grabbed his gear and started cutting a promo when Ricochet attacked him, basically for mocking him, stole his hat, stole his jacket, and actually got up on the champion at the end of the segment. This was a pleasant surprise for me. It was short as expected, but a really good kickoff show match with Ricochet getting a lot more offense in than I thought he would. Sheamus now clearly has two or three challengers for the U.S. title, unless this is a replacement for Humberto Carrillo because he got injured last week. We were told or not we were told, but reportedly uh, the Creo injury wasn't serious and he could go out and wrestle by the end of the show. But it does seem like they've potentially moved on to Ricochet. And I did say to you, I think it was on the last show or two shows ago, what they should ultimately do is build Ricochet up to be the one to beat him for the title. You need new, fresh, young face mid-carders. Ricochet can be that guy and it would be great to see him get a push. Either way, this was enjoyable. Three stars, B minus, a uh, very good kickoff show match. Yeah, um, Ricochet looked extra muscular. I don't know. Like he's always he's ripped, like kind of like thin ripped. But his abs it looked like he had what was an eight pack was now a ten pack or something. I don't know. I was just admiring Ricochet's body. He's a very good looking man. Um, this was a fun match. Hey yeah. No. Hey. 
this was a fun match. Was what it was. Maybe it set something up. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not a huge fan of face loses. Then he kind of pulls a prank and then gets the music at the end of the segment. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. it still should be Seamus's music playing because he won. It's a little thing, but it's supposed to, I don't know, set the set the tone. It kind of gives you a weird feeling like Ricochet coming out on top of the segment despite losing is not exactly what you want. So I, I get why he did it. Never a big fan of that kind of thing. But if we're getting more Ricochet, that is perfectly fine by me. Yeah, I mean, as long as the match ultimately was enjoyable, that's all you really need from a kickoff show. It was great to see Ricochet get that opportunity. We want Ricochet, like if anyone from WWE Creative is listening, and I know what we say doesn't matter, uh, it's, and probably what they say doesn't even matter because it's what Vince McMahon wants, but we want Ricochet and Mustafa Ali on Raw. Like, it's it's great that you're giving opportunities to Gulak and Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo and all those guys, and, and I'm not saying not to give them opportunities, but Ricochet and Mustafa Ali have extremely high ceilings. Mustafa Ali could potentially, if booked well, be a world champion. Ricochet could be an upper mid-carder who occasionally competes in the main event. These guys have the ability. You got to give them chances. So I was just really pleased, even though it was a kickoff show match, even though it was somewhat spontaneous, to see Ricochet get this opportunity. Now, a couple more things to talk about Backlash, and then we will give our final grade. It's worth noting WrestleMania Backlash had a really cool opening montage narrated by Batista. I don't know if you saw this or not. Uh, Even though it did incorporate promotion for that film, there was also a shit ton of pyro when the show opened and it really made it feel like a big deal. Again, even though the build for it was lackluster, but if they want to incorporate uh, promotional material into their show openings, be my guest. You know, that's totally fine. Don't incorporate it into your matches. Uh, Since you didn't see that, uh, we'll just move on. WWE also noted multiple times on the show that Hell in a Cell had been elevated from its normal October spot to June, next month, June 20th, in place, they did not say this, but in place of Money in the Bank, which is usually a June pay-per-view. My guess is, and just a guess at this point, that they are going to push Money in the Bank to July and do SmackDown on July 16th, my birthday, by the way, as the first live event with fans and then Money in the Bank two nights later on July 18th as the next pay-per-view with fans. And then WWE is going to go back on the road from there. If they do that, they can move Extreme Rules to October. And Chris, guess what? October, Halloween, (laughs) they could actually call it and it would make even more sense. The horror show at Extreme Rules. I would like that, Bailey. I would actually like that a lot. If that's the decision-making process, then I ultimately think all of this is smart moves. I'm not a massive fan of Hell in a Cell as a pay-per-view because it forces the stipulation match into feuds that maybe wouldn't otherwise need it or want it. But because they're making the decision for this reason, I think, then I do support it. And you cannot do Hell in a Cell and Extreme Rules back-to-back. It wouldn't make any sense. So you do Hell in a Cell now. You push extreme rules, you flip them, you put that in October, and I think everyone's happy, and especially come July, if you do get money in the bank in front of fans. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You laid that out. What was the original July pay-per-view? That was extreme rules? Yes. Okay. I guess I guess that would make sense. Um, no, no. June, 
Yes, I'm sorry. June was, was money, money in the bank. July. And July is usually, I don't know about last year, but July is usually Extreme Rules, yeah. Well, okay. you, Extreme Rules used to be after Mania, which never made any sense to me either. So, okay, th- that makes sense. I, I think that's a good theory. I we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think that makes sense. I am with you. I kind of wish they'd get rid of a lot of these themed pay-per-views like Hell in a Cell and, uh, and Extreme Rules, but it is what it is. So I don't mind Extreme Rules because it's general. You can create whatever matches that you want, although... Some years where they force every match to have a stipulation, right? it doesn't make sense. But for Extreme Rules, if you want to pick two or three matches out of six or seven that have stips, I'm okay with like that. I, like, I get the Rumble because it's based on the Rumble. Money in the yeah. Bank is based on the Money in the Bank. I'm, okay with the, I'm the actually bank. okay with Elimination Chamber too. Because it, I am too. It yeah. is after the Rumble, and it gives an opportunity for whoever doesn't win the Rumble, the other brand, right. to either have a title match or a number one contender right. match. But the problem is Hell in a Cell is always supposed to be like, blood feud stipulation more than right. match itself. But is we'll talk about it more when we get to it. They um, should go back to the Hell in a Cell match happening once a year at a random pay-per-view yeah, yeah. based on storyline. Yeah. So that's, uh, I guess I don't really have anything else to say. I think that's a good theory you well, brought up. I mean, I was just at the football game and they had the stadium half full. So sports are getting back to normal pretty much. And I don't, I haven't seen anything yet on when WWE could be touring again. I know and uh, AEW is soon. They're actually coming here to Texas in July. Mm-hmm. So that would fit the same time too. I really hope, like I know it's not going to happen, but if WWE did that July 16th event anywhere near me for my birthday, I would, or even, or even a uh, money in the bank. Holy crap. I would be there so fast. Like I, I really would love to do that. So you, you need to go down to the Thunderdome and just, Break in there and watch. It. You're not, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm not trying to like pull up, any card here. When I, I'm not trying to pull any card here when I say this, but I do think if I efforted, they'd let me in, not like to be in the crowd, but like to kind of survey what's going on. But I'm so busy with work that to do that for like a Monday or a Friday night, it just, I couldn't ever justify it. But for a Sunday pay per view, I would take a day off and actually go down there and do it. That would be so cool to be at that first show and have it be money in the bank. And who the hell knows what they could do? Uh, someone tweeted me a really interesting booking scenario for Money in the Bank. I'm not going to mention it on today's show. Maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, I did want to mention, though, since it is Hell in a Cell, first blush, really quick, pick two matches you think are going to be at Hell inside Hell in a Cell. Roman Reigns versus Jimmy Uso. Okay. And I, I want to lean toward a women's match. I, I, I guess Bianca Bailey. I don't know. Eh. I don't know. I can't think of a second right now. What about you? So I think it would be forced to put either of the women's matches in there unless unless there's a scenario where Flair or Bailey. Oh, I got my second. I got my second one. Okay, well, I'll go and then you can kind of come on the back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Unless there's a scenario where Bailey or Flair seriously attack and injure one of the champions where they're out of action for three weeks because there are five weeks now. So you can actually build it that way. They're out two weeks. Third week is via satellite. Then the last two weeks you actually build to the Hell in a Cell match. So they could do it. They can really do it for any any feud. Reigns and Jimmy Uso seems like a no-brainer because it's a replica of the Reigns and Jey Uso. There doesn't seem to be another person who would step up to challenge Reigns right away unless they moved back to Kevin Owens or shoved Big E in there, which I, I don't want either of those to happen. So Jimmy Uso and Reigns, I think, is definitely one. And it seems weird, but the other one that really makes sense, it's on the same brand. And it's Rollins and Cesaro. Mm. Now, I don't think they're going to do both of those inside the cell. 
So I'm going to say one or the other, with the third being Lashley and Drew McIntyre. Uh, meaning one will be from Raw. I think it's going to be Lashley and Drew McIntyre. And then I think it's either Reigns versus Jimmy or Rollins versus Cesaro. La- Lashley, McIntyre makes sense. Um, my my thought was another SmackDown, and that was going to be the Intercontinental feud with with Biggie and Apollo, and I guess Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I don't know if they've done a four way Hell in a Cell. They're doing but, it Friday. Uh, well, they're doing uh, the single oh, the Fatal Four Way regular match Friday for the title. That's right. But then you have that's five right. weeks so, to get to the pay per view, so I don't know if you yeah. Can so I don't know. Out. I mean, like we've seen Apollo Biggie a bunch. Maybe you, maybe you finally end it there. That did be another option. But again, that's two SmackDowns. For sure. And then lastly, I know we both had Peacock issues. So I just figured before we get to the grade, we'll mention that. I, I just got to say, um, look, they were really nice to me. Like before WrestleMania, they sent me a care package. They tried to buy me off, right? Uh, a Yeti. I didn't, for, I didn't get one of these. What's up? Uh, through a different reason that they sent it to me. Fine. Uh, a 40-ounce Yeti, a wireless charging pad, a hoodie. It was really nice. It's it, That's a really nice care package, right? To send to promote your shit. And I've been, I've tried to be lenient on them. Not because of that, not that they can buy me like that, but you know, it's, it's things have to work out. Um, and when you switch to a new streaming service, I think people forget that WWE network, the way we had it in 2020 and 2021, that was like, however many five, six, seven, eight years of refinement. It did not start out good. In fact, I used to watch WWE network on my PS4 and it was a horrendous experience. It was slow and lagging. Shit didn't work. I couldn't pause. There were a million problems. But it is now 2021, and we're in a new era of technology. I was watching Peacock through my Xfinity box, and right before the finish of the uh, the uh, Triple Threat Raw Women's Championship, it just shut off. And all of a sudden, Silence of the Lambs is on my television. And I tried to get back to it, and I couldn't get back to Peacock. So thankfully, I had a Roku. I pulled it up on Roku. I eventually started watching it. But the Roku, instead of being like 90 seconds delayed from live, is like two and a half minutes delayed from live. So it was just a horrendous experience for me. And then I know you had issues as well. I'm just going to kind of say them for you because I've had the same experience. Yeah, you can rewind on their app. That's great on the iPhone or the Android. There's no other way to start a show from the beginning. There's no other way to just rewind a show that's live on whether you're streaming on a a tab, like on Google, Chrome or something like that, or whether you're using a Roku or Apple TV or something like that. It is honestly ridiculous that we are now almost three months into this relationship and this functionality has not been there. I know they promised new functionality by July, August, something like that. It should already be there at this point. It is truly difficult to be a WWE fan and watch this product on this streaming service. Yeah. It took me a while. No, it took me a while to figure out when I was rewinding on the app that it wasn't going so far because the way Peacock is set up, it said the broadcast had gone on for an hour before the, before the actual show starts and you can't actually rewatch it. You can't do the replay until it's long over, like as opposed to on the network. When a show ended, it was immediately available for rewatch. And you could start it thing. over at any time. You, you could start over at any time. Yeah. It was like and WWE is not a is not a streaming company like Nick Khan. When he talked to Colin Coward about why they made this deal, you know, they're not in the business of digital and streaming. They're in the business of content. So they handed it off for a billion dollars to someone who does handle that, but, but they're not very good at it. You can't 
with anything live on Peacock, you can't really rewind unless I guess you're on an Apple device. So frustrating and weird. I didn't have any, I haven't had any lag issues. No, um, me neither. And they deserve credit uh, for that. On Peacock and, and my brother said he was having issues, but I, I can't speak to that. I, um, I've had no lagging issues. So they do, yeah. do deserve credit. The picture of the quality is yeah. really good. There was one mess up in the main event tonight at the very end. I think that was just a production mess up. I don't think that was a Peacock mess up. So no, generally they're actually, in terms of the quality, it's not bad. But you uh, accessing that app and, and surfing through it is terrible. Ha- forget the stuff that's not available because it's not uploaded. You can't find half the shit unless you use the search function. And the search function is terrible. I, and I don't, you know, look, I'm not going to say how I have them all, uh, but I basically have access to every major streaming platform with the exception of like Hulu. I don't think I have. Um, and almost all of them are better than Peacock. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible that yeah. that's the one they wind up on. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, just let us pause and rewind a show. Like, it's right. like, I don't need, I don't we, need this. I don't need the start over functionality. If I can yeah, pause like, and rewind to the beginning, that's enough. Yeah. For that, now. That's how, that's yeah. how we watch sports. Like in general, like, Oh wait, what just happened there? I missed that play. Let me rewind it real quick. Boom. Right. I got it. Like that's, or let us record actually, it like a DVR you, you or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like you actually can't actually, you actually can't do that on watch ESPN for whatever reason, but like on YouTube TV and cable, I have cable, pretty much anything else you can do that. So it's just, you can't, it's really annoying. And if, if, if you know, you're not going to be able to catch the beginning of the show, it's very, very hard to like catch up and, and find out what you missed out on. Also, you, you mentioned being like two and a half minutes behind. That's something I did notice because someone on Twitter made the Seth Rollins appearance comment, like a minute before he showed up on my TV. Yeah. That's very weird how it would vary so much that's one reason i still have cable is so i don't get spoiled on live sports on twitter while i'm watching a game so that was uh me too that was a a little thing uh as well so it is literally the only reason i still have cable is for live sports and twitter it's 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 the only reason i have it and you don't even need it for the actual to watch the live sports you need it for that 92 you know 120 150 second delay yeah yeah that you have and by the way even cable and satellite are delayed from live so you're actually from the live broadcast or from from being in the arena, you're like three minutes behind if you're watching yeah. on Peacock yeah. versus potentially starting in July, having fans in the arena at these shows. So it's yeah. something that definitely needs to get fixed. OK, enough uh, bullshitting and complaining. Let's get to our final grades for WrestleMania backlash. Now, a reminder, pre-show grades. Yes, the Silver King did forget to do the pre-show poll. I apologize. I already ate my market zero earlier, but Chris and I basically said B and B minus. I was B minus. He was B. That was our pre-show grade. Now, I usually let you go first for the post-show grades. I'm going to take the opportunity here because I want to explain how I arrived at mine. So basically, I looked at the show and I said it was all about the matches. And let me go ahead, because we had this unique circumstance of a (laughs) 0.5, an F that I gave a match, which I've never done before. Let me average my match grades and see what I come out with. So I averaged them all up. And even with that 0.5, I came up with an average of a 3.4, which is in the B, it's a B, B range. I can't be as critical as I was about the zombie piece of shit and not factor it in somewhat. Now, if I averaged the show without that match, I'm at a 3.9, which is an A minus. 
So aside from that piece of garbage, the rest of the show, it was honestly stellar. I'm not saying every match was a absolutely incredible match, but everything was entertaining. It made sense. From a storytelling and booking perspective, it was really done well. And WWE continued its string of exceeding expectations and over-delivering on pay-per-views. Plus, I want to give them a little bit of extra credit for the show-ending storyline with Rollins that I enjoyed so much. So based on that, I'm going to meet in the middle, and I'm going to round up or round down, depending which way you want to look at it, to a B plus. I just cannot go to an A with the zombie shit, and there's no way I can go below a B minus into the C or D range, because simply put, it wasn't that, like everything else was good except for that one thing. This is interesting because I almost always have a better rating than you on these pay-per-views um, for whatever reason. We're usually maybe, the same or you're a half grade higher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's because I had to watch some of this while driving and I didn't get the whole experience, but I think I come out with a B. And the reason is not a lot happened. Not a lot changed and the matches were great and the stories they told in the matches were great the main event was 4.75 stars whatever you want to call it main event was great but in everything else other than the tag match not much changed not much happened and i'm a guy who even if the wrestling is sometimes bad on a show if things if important things happened and it felt like they were advancing various stories i get into that that didn't really happen on this show. It was just a, I mean, we were just coming off of WrestleMania clearly. So, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a, uh, a B level show if, if WrestleMania is an A plus type show. So, um, I'm going to go with a, a B really enjoyed it. Is it a show I'm going to go back and watch? Probably not, but that's okay. Not every show needs to be like that. So it, it met the expectations that I had. I agree. It's not a show I'm going to rewatch. I will rewatch the two main events both of which were exceedingly good. Now, as far as your grade, our listeners, we did our post-show poll, I did not forget that. On Twitter, I asked you, what is your final grade for WrestleMania Backlash? And I gave no qualifications. I did not say to skip the zombie match. I did not say anything like that. (laughs) This is how it broke down. 20.2% of respondents gave it an A. Wow. 55.8% of respondents said B. 16% said C. And 8% said DRF. Now that 8% is a larger percentage, I think, than what we normally get, but not extremely so. I can see the zombie match pissing a lot of people off, more, you know, certain people off, and therefore they kind of drop into that range. 16% at C, it's something I argue with because the rest of the show was so good, especially the two main events. Even if you did not like the rest of the show, The two main events were so good that I couldn't get to a C because you can't hate the rest of the show. You could only really hate the zombie match. So I can't see getting in in there. So but 24% of respondents said between C and F and we had 76 flat percent of respondents say A or B. Uh, The C and D outweighed the A, which means that we're probably not at a B plus. We're probably at that flat B. So I think a lot of people agreed with you. Um, that it was a B, maybe a little bit closer to a B minus than a B plus. And I think that's okay. Um, it was a good show, top to bottom. The two main events completely delivered. The two women's championship matches, despite not being built well, 
they both were good matches. The SmackDown Championship, despite me disagreeing personally with the booking, it gave us a moment that I think a lot of fans are going to remember. We got Ricochet on the show, which was great. And really, the only thing that kind of sucked was the thing I don't want to, and I'm not going to mention it again. I don't want to mention it and get all riled up. <laughs> so I think I see where the fans are coming from. But again, 76% A or B for a WWE pay-per-view that continues the string, Chris, of WWE shows, I think dating back to this time last year. To Money in the Bank, I think. was Money in the Bank, it was. You're right. Yeah. Where the shows exceeded expectations. And I don't think a single show since then has been lower than a B minus. Maybe there was one I gave a C plus. I don't think so, but maybe there was. But none of them were bad. And this was another one that was extremely good. Yeah, no, it it was perfectly solid. I I, I think in the end, when, when I look back on it, is there anything that's memorable? Anything we're going to think back to in three months? I, I think it's really probably just the main event. Maybe the Mysterios winning the tag belt. I, I think um, when you think back to, to what what mattered, what changed, there wasn't a ton. And now we move on to what I presumably will be called WrestleMania Hell in a Cell. Funny, but thank God it is not um, WrestleMania Hell in a Cell. It is just... Hell in a Cell, and uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, look, we'll see what WWE does from a booking standpoint to actually get Hell in a Cell matches, because that's always the key. The other, by the way, thing that we haven't mentioned that could throw a wrench into this entire situation, and I don't mean to bring it up at the end of the show and get everyone all depressed, but there is the possibility that at some point soon, WWE goes back to Saudi Arabia now that things are opening up. I hope it's not for the rest of the year. Or I hope it's not until the end of the year, post-Survivor Series, maybe. Um, But they do have shows that they owe them because they did none last year. And I think so far they've already missed one this year. So there are three shows in the hole right now. Uh, So that could throw a wrench into storytelling. We always get concerned when that happens because it really does. Although you and I haven't had a discussion about it because we haven't had one on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It does screw up the storytelling in a major way. And those shows have been absolutely horrendous. Um, so we'll see if or when that gets added, but yes, I'm not worried about those shows right now. What I am worried about is telling you about what's coming up next here on the getting over wrestling podcast. I do appreciate all of you listening to this instant analysis of WrestleMania backlash, but on Tuesday, we will be back with another WWE episode. We'll talk about everything that happened on SmackDown that had nothing to do with the pay-per-view additional fallout from backlash everything that went down on WWE Raw, any WWE news that we've been meaning to talk about but have not had the opportunity to do so. And I don't know if Chris has seen it, but I am going to effort to make sure I see it before our show on Tuesday. The Booker T A&E documentary. I heard it was great, but I have not had the chance. And then after that WWE show on Tuesday, we will be back on Thursday, as always, covering NXT and AEW. A couple reminders before we get out of here. First, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. If you are so inclined to donate to this show monetarily, hook uh, Chris Vanini, vintage Chris Vanini, and the Silver King Adam Silverstein with a couple six packs. We would love it. Head on over to my personal Twitter profile at Silverstein Adam. Click the tip button and you can hook us up via Venmo or PayPal. And also, do not forget what this show is all about. This show is all about the five.
That means leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let people know how much you love the show and help us boost those damn rankings. Also, do not forget to tell your friends and family about the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That's it. That is our instant analysis of WWE WrestleMania Backlash. I will see you all on Tuesday with Vintage Chris Vanini in tow. For him, this is the Silver King, and you know I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.